and I sat down and I was like, just close your eyes for five minutes and maybe if you open them, it'll all be okay. So I sat down for what I thought was five minutes and I opened them and it was just so much work. Couldn't see color at that point, could not see the flagging, could, could see like shadows, but that's it. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast where we interview different women about their lives and running and how it all intertwines. And today's guest, Nicole Abma, had an absolutely amazing race at WAM 100 and lost her eyesight in the race. It did come back. So just a disclaimer, this isn't a medical episode. I'm not totally sure why this happens. I have heard about it with... Um, Courtney Delwater, which we're not sure if it's the same thing, but we get into that a little bit. And just her experience of not being able to see during the race and what the doctors think it is. She toughed it out and kept going and it is an absolutely miraculous recovery from not being able to see anything mid-race to finishing it. Uh, I would have walked off terrified, but she did not. She toughed it out. So it is pretty cool to hear Nicole's story. I want to thank everybody who's leaving five-star ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us grow and helps more people want to be on the show so we can continue to hear some awesome stories from different women all over the place. If you would like to hear the backlog now that we are close to 200 episodes, uh, find us on Patreon. So that link is in my Instagram at hillsport55 along with information on coaching and everything that you need to find. Keep writing me messages and um, as always, send guest ideas and just know that I will get to everybody. I have a long list, but that's awesome. That means that we'll just keep going. That's it for now. Find me on Instagram at hillsport55 and have an amazing week. All right. I'm here this morning with my next guest who also ran Wham 100 Mile, but had a very different experience from anybody I've ever heard, and I'm so excited to get into your story, Nicole Abma. Thank you so much for having me today. So Nicole is currently in Canmore. It was coached by Ellie Greenwood. We actually got introduced because Ellie wrote us an email, us as in Katie and I, when we heard we were doing WAM and said you were going to be out there too. So we did meet in person our first time, like in the middle of the trails, if I remember correctly, and like figured out who each other were, which is awesome. So let's start with a brief uh, history of how you got into running, which wasn't actually that long ago, considering your achievements. Yeah, so I ran throughout like high school and after high school, but it was more like road running. And then one of my really good friends, she had always run Sinister 7 as like a relay team with their physio. Um, and yeah, one year she just reached out, I think it was like 2016, and was like, do you want a, to, do you want to run a leg of Sinister? And I was like fired up, but I'd never done a trail run. So like I was more used to flat road running and I was in for like, I think the first leg I did was like 17K or something and it absolutely crushed me. <laughs> but it was so much fun and like the environment was amazing. And after that, yeah, the rest was kind of history. And then I just kept going. Yeah, Sinister is a tough one to jump right into. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's only 17K. <laughs> well, only, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, was it, did it surprise you how long you took or was there anything like shocking about that? First it, did, it was more like the going up and down that I just was not used to because I was more, yeah, like I said, I was more used to just running with no vertical gain and on the road. So, but it was a good challenge. And like I said, the environment was just so positive and everyone 
was just so amped up. So, and you get to run in the mountains. So that's always a plus. Totally. So let's talk about how you escalated into running a hundred miles. So after you do that 17 K leg, what did your journey look like to, uh, to get to the ultra distance? So yeah, then I just started dabbling in trail running and then, um, the girl, her name's Victoria. She, we hadn't like, we, we hadn't talked for a while, just busy adults. And I randomly messaged her and I was like, Hey, like, I really want to do another ultra. Do you want to do sinister seven hundred miler together and just split it in half? And that was like kind of the next big thing that I did. So she did like the first half of Sinister and I did the last half and that was uh, totaled up to like 80, <clears throat> 80 kilometers. You and went from 17K to a 50 mile? Yeah. <laughs> and it honestly was so much fun. Like lots of things went wrong and it was, I think I was a little out of my league because at that point I wasn't being coached. Um, and we would run, like we had such busy schedules and we would run at like four o'clock in the morning. And we, I was living in Edmonton at the time. And so there's not a lot of like places in Edmonton you can run to get a good amount of vert. So we had to be creative at times. Um, but the race turned out well, we did really well for how well we were trained. And yeah, then after that, I was like, Oh, I wonder what running a hundred miles would be like. And then I, Wait, hold on. I need to turn into this. <laughs> so how did you figure out how to do that? Because what usually happens is if you run like a half marathon distance, the 50K starts to look like it might be within reach. But a 50 mile usually is so like big in people's minds, they can't even think how they would train for that. So how did you and your friend get together and decide how much you were going to run and how much vert you were going to run? And what was the actual amount of time you gave yourself to get prepared? So it's funny because now that I've been coached, I look back and I'm like, yeah, like we ran, but like, did we know what we were doing? Probably not. <laughs> but we had a mutual friend who had run the Sinister Sinister 700 miler and he kind of gave us like a generic training plan. So we followed that as best as we could, but we were definitely under trained. Um, but I think we just had it in our minds that like we were really good at running together and we're also really good at pushing ourselves and like kind of knowing when one of us is in like a not so great spot and pulling each other out of that. So yeah, compared to like what my training is now versus then it's very interesting to like look back and see that. And yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I mean, you guys got away with it, obviously. Um, so yeah. What happened after that 50 mile? Yeah. So after the 50 mile, we started talking about doing the hundred miler at Sinister 7. <laughs> and that, I think that was in 20, I think that's right when COVID hit. So we were training to do the hundred miler and I can't remember when Sinister said that they weren't going to do the race. So I, I'm pretty sure it was in 2020 in like January, 2020, where they like pulled the pin or something. Um, so we were kind of like, okay, well, we're not running hundred miles this year. And then in 2021, I attempted the Sinister 700 miler and I blew out two ligaments in my ankle. I think I was like 70K in and then I hobbled for like 20K. Um, and that was my first attempt at 100 miles. And then fast forward to September of this year um, doing Wham. That's funny because I was going to say, it's not, it's not funny that you did that, but I was going to say like, when I, I mean you got away with it, usually if you're going to increase to that distance so fast that 
even if your body and your muscles feel good, sometimes your connective tissues spaz out, which it sounds like it did happen. Yeah, yeah for sure. And like I've had weak a weak ankle for a very long time, and yeah, it just kind of I think I think mentally last year I was not prepared to run a hundred miles. I think I like built I built it up too much in my head, and like I wasn't yeah mentally prepared for it. Um, it was not really a positive experience. Like wham given everything that went wrong at Wham, I still look back at it and think like that was such a good time despite, yeah, everything that went wrong. But when I look back at Sinister, I was like, it's kind of a good thing it didn't happen because you weren't, you weren't mentally prepared for that. And there's almost no way to be like the 50 mile. You're just like, yeah, it's just one more. But that time between, if we go back to kilometers, like 125 and 180, yeah before you like can see the end like it's it's a whole other world that you go into it, yeah it really is for you yeah. especially yeah um yeah so before we get to wham after this race what uh what drew you to getting a coach what was part of your decision in that so I actually got Ellie for uh when did I get Ellie 20 I think I started with Ellie in June of 2020 right after Sinister canceled their race because of COVID um, and then I reached out to Ellie and I started getting coached by her. Um, so I, she had been coaching me for a year leading up to Sinister 700 miler in 2021. Um, and I had been following her for a while and I was like fangirling over her so hard. <laughs> I'm like, this woman's such a badass. please coach me. <laughs> and yeah, I was really happy. And we, I can't imagine being coached by anyone else. Like she, we just vibe very well together and I just appreciate everything about her and the way that she coaches. She's so, so invested. Like, yeah. She's, that's such yeah. a good way to put it. She really is so invested and just, yeah, genuinely cares about all of her clients. So Katie and I used to laugh all the time because she also, her expectations are so high, but in a good yeah. way, like not in a way that makes you feel like it's unachievable or like you're less than, but we would yeah. be like, we would do our workouts together and Ellie would sometimes give us the same one knowing that we would push each other and yeah. we'd be like yeah we nailed it and Ellie would be like oh yeah good try <laughs> <laughs> she is a definitely a straight shooter but it you know it keeps you humble <laughs> totally oh it was fantastic I missed that oh I, know, okay. I, get, I, I told her before I was like you know I get like so much anxiety doing these like tempo workouts because I'm like I just want to impress you <laughs> totally and I'm like, oh, I think she's going to think I'm slow. But she doesn't. What She's she's looking for effort and, and improvement. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's good. You want to look up to your coach, I think. I think that's For good. sure, yeah. So WAM 100, I mean, I briefly, you texted me a couple of things that went on to you, for you, and I um, uh, Ellie told me about a couple of the things, but you had an experience that um, I haven't heard before, but let's really break down the race. Tell us how you felt going into it. Um, were you excited, nervous, felt pretty trained? And, and then let's break, break it down. Yeah. So I was very excited for this race. I feel like I had built up to like running a hundred miles for a couple of years. And like, I, after my experience at Sinister Seven, I just told myself like, you have to stay positive no matter what happens. And like, I was fully prepared for like, I wasn't prepared for what had happened to happen, but I was fully prepared to be like not in a good headspace at times. And like, I just told myself, whatever happens, just stay positive and like find the silver lining. And so that really mentally put me in a good place to start the race. Like I was very, I was, yeah, I was just so stoked. Um, 
yeah, I can't. Yeah. The, the stoke was really high. I don't think I was really nervous and I was, I was really happy with how it all turned out because I had made my crew an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be like, I think it's going to take me like 43 hours guys. And I was convinced that I was going to be around 38 on a good day and 42 if I was really struggling, but I was like, I'll give myself the extra hour just in case. (laughs) So I was like, you're going to run in the dark twice. It's okay. Um, So how it all turned out, I am so grateful and given what I actually thought I was going to do. So. And what was your final time? 34 hours. Oh, nice. Well done. Yeah. That's exciting. So how does it compare to Sinister as far as uh, elevation? Oh my God. I think Sinister is like 6,500 meters and Wham's okay, like, so what, quite like a bit 9,000. It's quite a bit more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I like how Wham's in September because then I got the advantage to train in the Rockies, like with no snow on the peak. So I really like, cause Sinister is in the beginning of July. So you, you're really limited to the trails that you can run on. Um, right. So yeah, I felt, I felt a lot more prepared for Wham than I did for Sinister. That's actually a really good point. I've been thinking about that too for your um, races next year, that it is super important to look at the time of year and the terrain that you can yeah. train on because it does make a big difference. Totally, lots, yeah. Lots of people looking at orcas and it's like, yeah, that's great, but do you know what that means for yeah. December? <laughs> <laughs> so for our American listeners, just it's over 30,000 feet of elevation, Wham is, and I know we've said that before, but people um, are, are from all over and sometimes they're like, oh yeah, hilly and it's 3,000 meters or 9,000 feet. And that is hilly relative to what they train on. But when we say 42 hours, it's because you are going up and down. And the unique thing about this race that got a lot of people, especially in the heat, is that you're going to about six or 700 meters above sea level up to 23-ish Um, which is not crazy altitude it's not like Colorado but it's enough that you can feel it and when you go up and down it for you guys uh six times that is hard (laughs) that is really hard yeah so (laughs) so let's get into the race how did the first uh how did you break it down what was your game plan Uh, So my game plan was just take it uh, aid station by aid station. I think that like when I look at things as a whole, it can, I think for anyone, if you look at a hundred miles as a whole, like it's so overwhelming and you're like, oh, okay, I did 30 K. Yay. I have 130 left to go. So I was like aid station to aid station was my game plan. And like that worked really well for me. I had an incredible crew with me. Like my best friend was there. My boyfriend was there. My parents were there. My other friend was there. Like it was, I had a really good team cheering me on. Um, and the start of the race went really well. Like I was struggling to eat food, but I wasn't feeling sick. Like I just didn't know what I wanted to eat. And then I put something in my mouth and I was like, Oh, like I do not want that. Um, but on the trail, I was like forcing myself to eat gels and whatnot. So the first part of it went pretty smoothly. I'd say like, I didn't have any issues. Um, it was a hundred kilometers in that things like started to fall apart. (laughs) so how many hours were you in at 100k and do you remember um I think it was it had just started getting dark so I think I don't even know like maybe 14 hours in 15 I don't even remember it was yeah it was starting to get dark I don't remember what time it got dark at well 
if we think about it, Tori was 17 hours to 100K. Oh, okay. Then I was definitely like maybe 18 or 20. I don't know how far. Yeah, you guys were all pretty close to each other for the first yeah. For the first day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she ended up passing me and she looked and I saw her, I only saw her three times and she looked so strong the entire time. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. a huge part experience, yeah. I think, where she just like, she's so good at starting very slow and it's like, this is going to get shitty and I'm just yeah. going to start slow and make sure I get food in. Um, so what do you think... Two questions, actually. So if you're struggling to eat already, that's really tough. And we experienced that in the 100K as well. But it didn't hit most of us for um, until like 13 hours in or so. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any idea how many calories per hour you were able to get in, even though you weren't feeling great right off the start? Honestly, I think maybe 100. And it's so funny because before Wham, I remember doing a FaceTime with Ellie. And I was like, Ellie, I've never had a problem eating. I've never had a problem with nutrition, not in any race. And it's almost like I jinxed it because, yeah, right off the bat, I think I came into the first aid station that my crew was at. And I was like, oh, I I do not want to eat any food. And I don't, yeah, I don't know why that is because I had been training in the heat but I would say I was probably eating about a hundred calories an hour. Yeah, which is like which less is than not half. yeah, yeah. It's not enough. So when I things was, started to I was drinking a lot of calories though. So I had told my crew like, hey, if I'm not eating enough, please just put more like tailwind and scratch labs in my water, like double the scoops, because I was really well hydrated. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So when things started to go south, what did you notice first? What what started to happen? So I started in my left eye, it was kind of just like a blurry spot. And this has actually happened to me before. So last year I ran black spur 108 kilometer and three kilometers from the finish. I noticed, uh, like just the bottom part of my left eye getting super blurry and I get migraine. So I, and it's kind of like a different, it's a different kind of blurry from when you would get a migraine. So I knew that's not what was happening. And then I finished the race and yeah, it just went away. So I just didn't think anything of it. And I had actually told my crew, Hey, this blurry thing happened in my eye, not sure what it is, but maybe like my, it was just irritated with my contact. So I had brought eye drops and every aid station, like I got my mom to put eye drops in my eye. Um, but yeah, so hundred K in, or I had come back, I had done like the LSD loop and come back into the Jane aid station. And I, during that loop, the, my vision really started to go in my left eye and then it kind of moved over to my right eye. It wasn't as bad as like it had started in my left. And then I remember coming into the aid station and my dad was standing in front of me and I like, didn't know who he was. Like I knew someone was standing in front of me, but I was like, are you my dad? (laughs) Like, where's my crew? Um, and that was when it was getting, or it was dark and I had to climb the backside of Whistler, um, like the top of the world section in the dark. And I was like, I can't really see. So this is not an ideal situation. And how did you remedy that? Well, so I was sitting down and I like took my contacts out. I like put eye drops in my eye. I put my glasses on and I was going to run with my glasses, but like it didn't help. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to put my contacts back in. And I, I remember asking my friend Bree, I was like, okay, how many hours am I in the dark for? Because I kind of was like, not panicking, but I was like, it's not getting better. So 
if I have to climb this in the dark, I just need to know how long I'm going to be in the dark for. I think I must have asked her like four times. I'm like, wait, how long am I in the dark for? When is the sun coming up? And she did say six hours. So I guess I came into that aid station around like 1 a.m. or midnight or something. Um, so I, I don't know how long I was in that aid station for, maybe like 20 minutes, which I had asked or I told my crew like, I don't want to be in an aid station for longer than five minutes unless like something's wrong. So I think I was in that aid station for maybe 20 minutes. Um, and then my friend took a video of me walking out of the aid station and I was literally swerving and I was like, because I was really struggling to see. And I noticed with my headlamp, when I had it on the brightest setting, it was almost making it harder for me to see. So I had to keep my headlamp on like the dimmest setting and I started climbing up and like you guys, the hundred kilometer had to do that part of the course, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's pretty technical. Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm like, you would think on an uphill that would almost be better because you could just kind of march it out. Yeah. It's not like you have to hold on to roots on parts of it and it's like all fours. Yeah. And there's like slabs and like, it's super rooty and like very technical. So I started going up and there was a guy ahead of me. So I was trying to follow him, but he was going way too fast for like how limited my vision was at that point. Um, so I was, saying, okay, like just get to the top. Like it's okay. Every time you see a flag, I was just saying it out loud. So I was like, Hey, you've seen a flag. You're not going to get lost. It's okay. Um, but it was definitely getting worse. And like my, I was trying to like close my left eye to see what I could still see out of my right eye. Um, and it was like, you could still see things, but it was just so blurry. Like I would have probably been able to see better without my contacts and I'm pretty blind as it is. Um, So yeah, every time I saw a flag, I just said out loud, you've seen a flag, keep going. And then I don't know how far up I was and I passed a flag and then I kept going and then I didn't see a flag for a while. And I think I can't remember at the beginning of the race if Gary said like, you should be seeing a flag every like 90 seconds or something. And I was like, okay, it's been like a couple minutes, like I haven't seen a flag. And so I was like, don't panic. So I sat down and I was like, I'll just pull out because I couldn't see my watch. Like I could see my watch, but I couldn't see anything on my watch at that point. So I was just going to pull up my phone, pull up my fat maps to make sure I was still on the course. And I pulled up my phone and I couldn't see anything on my phone. So it was just like a bright light in my eye. And I was like, well, this is not ideal. Um, so I just backtracked to where I saw the flag and then I kept going up and ended up finding another flag. And I still, when I look back at going up that side of Whistler, I'm like, I don't know how you did that with like not being able to see because I, so I, when I got to the top, I was trying to change the batteries in my headlamp at the aid station. I didn't want to tell anyone that I couldn't see because I was like, I don't want anyone to panic. And I also don't want them to be like, you can't finish the race because I was convinced when the sun came out that it was just all going to be fine. (laughs) So I was trying to like put my batteries in my headlamp, but I couldn't see like what side, what was negative, what was positive. So I was trying to like feel for it. And then a guy came over and he like was like, well, I'll help you. And like put his headlamp. And I was like, oh my God, that's making it so much worse. (laughs) And so I was like fiddling with this headlamp, trying to put batteries in. And I was like, this is not good. (laughs) So I yeah, got up from that aid station and I kept going down and the sun started to come up at this point. And then I passed or I came where Hillary was uh, photographing the event. And I had asked her if um, 
it had like if my eyes looked like they were blurry or if they like had like a layer over them or if they were cloudy like what do my eyes look like and she I can't even remember what she said to be honest I don't she didn't seem concerned so I was like okay that must be a good thing um and before sorry before I had seen Hillary when the sun started to come up it was like yeah it was just like a layer of wax was over my eyes so I opened my phone and I called my boyfriend and the only right way I was able to call him was because he has a heart next to his name. So I could see the red dot. And so I called him and I was like, Hey, like this is happening. Can somebody please figure out like why, why I can't see and like how to make it stop because I feel fine. Like physically I my I don't have a headache. Like my body feels good. So I don't know. I don't understand why this is happening. Um, so yeah. And then I saw Hillary and asked her if, like what my eyes looked like and she didn't seem too concerned so I was like well that's a good thing so then when I was heading down the sun like you're facing the sun and I kind of made a rookie mistake by not bringing any like any hat or sunglasses with me because I had assumed that I would be down the mountain because I was crawling up the backs like the top of the world section of Whistler um so yeah I just thought that I would be down by the time the sun was coming up And that was not the case. So it was almost like the bright light coming at me was just causing like, yeah, like literally almost blindness. So I don't know how far I was from Hillary. Like I feel like it might've been 500 meters. And I sat down and I was like, just close your eyes for five minutes. And maybe if you open them, (laughs) it'll all be okay. So I sat down for what I thought was five minutes and I opened them and it was just so much worse. Like I couldn't see color at that point, could not see the flagging, could, could see like shadows, but that's it. Um, so I got up and I was like, well, I'm just going to go back to where Hillary was sitting. And I don't, I think I might've moved like a hundred meters. And then I heard two female voices and it was Shauna and Hillary. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, I can't see anything. Like, (laughs) I was like, I need to call my crew because I didn't know what to do. So Hillary was like, thank God for her. So she brought me back up to where she had like set up camp and, um, I was able to call my crew and I don't know. I, I don't really remember the conversations that happened with like, with my boyfriend and like my mom, cause my mom's a nurse. I don't really remember what they were telling me. I don't know if it was like helpful information or if they were just trying to like, they were being like, it's, it might be this, it might be this. Um, I just was kind of feeling defeated at that point. Like, okay, well, you're going to get another DNF because there's no way you can finish this if you can't even see anything. And I had been falling a lot because I was tripping over things because yeah, you can't see. Um, So I sat, I honestly thought I was sitting there for like 45 minutes, but according to my Koros data after I was sitting there for like two hours and 15 minutes. Um, And Hillary was so helpful with like, and so supportive, like whatever you want to do, like if you want to, if you want to stop, like we'll get you to the aid station, we'll get you down the mountain, like don't stress, like just relax. So I just sat there, I ate some food, I fell asleep for like 30 minutes. Um, And then I woke up and there was another photographer there, I think her name was Sasha. And she walked over to me at this, this is like after I had taken a nap and been sitting there for like two hours and 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh my God, you're wearing a blue shirt. And I was so excited because I could see color again. And she was like, yeah. And then I just kind of got up and I was like, I think I'm going to, like, I think I'm going to go. And 
fair enough, they were both a little bit worried about me. So they were like, can you just like run back and forth and like show us that you're like capable of actually running or walking and not falling. And I couldn't, I, I don't really know how to describe it. Like the, the wax over your eyes is like the best way that I know how to describe it. Um, and you can see like images and color. So I could see the pink flagging enough that I felt confident to go down and thank God that that side of Whistler going down was not technical at all. Um, so yeah, I kind of said goodbye to them and then I started going down and yeah, I came, I was going pretty fast cause I, I was resting for two and a half hours or something. Um, and then I passed another female and I think that was the female that got fourth. Um, and I came into the aid station at the bottom of Whistler and my, there was two girls talking to me. I thought they were my friends and I was like, Oh wait, I don't know who you are. And like, I still couldn't, it was coming back to me a little bit, but I still couldn't make out like who was who. And I was more relying on following people than anything. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. (laughs) That's, that's so crazy. And it's so scary. Um, so I have a couple of questions, but first of all, just for context for people, when you found the photographers, it would have been, um, like between probably six and 9am at about 120 K. Yeah. And then that aid station. So you still had a marathon left when you were basically blind. Um, and then that aid station was 140 K. So you're getting near, but you still had to go all the way back up. Um, mountain and then back down again. So another 2000 meters, 6,000 feet and back down. Um, that back bit isn't as technical, thankfully. Yeah. On the way down, <clears throat> it's just uh, painful. Um, and okay, so that's just so people know statistically. And I kind of know what time it was because I remember we saw you on Singing Pass coming down, and you actually looked in pretty good spirits. Yeah, um, I mean, I I feel like I was in pretty good spirits the whole time. Like I wasn't panicking, even when I was sitting with Hillary. I was kind of like again with this like my whole mantra, just like stay positive. And like Ellie had told me be patient and be positive, like no matter what happens. And I was like, okay, like that's just how I'm going to look at this whole thing. And I think maybe that's why when I look back at it, it's not like I was like this disastrous mess and like so scared of what was going to happen. I was very calm the entire time. I was just like, somebody just needs to tell me why this is going on. Um, well, that that's what would happen to me is like, am I doing permanent damage? Right. Because this race isn't worth not seeing again. Yeah. So, where, did you have fear? So no, because I don't remember who it was that told me. I think it was Hillary actually. She was on Google and she was like, I think this happened to Courtney Del Walter. And she Googled it and it did happen to Courtney Del Walter. And she was like, it's not permanent. It'll go away in either like, I can't even remember what the time frame was. It was like a couple hours or 48 hours, you'll be fully recovered. And I'm like, well, that's not really ideal because I kind of want to finish this race. Um, but she had said, yeah, it's not permanent damage. It could just be swelling of your cornea. So I was like, well, that's good. And it's not like I'm seeing black. It was like white and cloudy. So I don't know. It was less intimidating that it wasn't black. I don't know why I thought that. Um, but yeah, I wasn't after talking to Hillary and her saying like, I don't think it can be permanent. I was like, well, that's good. 
You did have an accordion, like Run Rabbit Run or something. I remember reading that. Yeah, and I actually listened to her podcast after, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally the same thing that happened to me. (laughs) So have you seen a doctor? I did. I saw a doctor a week after the race, um, and he looked at my, like, looked at my eyes, and he put some iodine in there, and he was able to see that I still had, like, dust particles in my eye. So what he thinks it is, it's called coronary edema. And what happens is, is dust gets caught into your eye and it get, and it can get caught in between your contact and your eye. So when that happens, it causes swelling of your cornea. Um, and yeah, it can lead to temporary blindness. There's not, so like the way to prevent it or, and I would, yeah, I would kind of like to do a little bit more digging, um, and research on it because he doesn't seem to think that it's totally preventable. Um, he said that you can do things to try to stop it from happening. Like instead of, you know, putting eye drops in your eye, take daily contacts in every aid station, just switch your contact out, um, and flush your eye with eye drops, wear like clear glasses, even if it's dark out, like just to stop anything from getting into your eye. But he said, if it's happened to you once, it's like, it's more likely to happen to you again. Yeah. So that would be my biggest concern is like, obviously you have big goals. You're just getting going. So how do you make sure this doesn't happen in the future? Because you came third overall, right? Uh, Yes. So, I mean, you're on the podium already, but obviously the like easiest way to improve is to not, is to be able to see for that section of the course. Um, so is there anything you can do or any specialists or like not wear contacts? I guess his glass is really hard, like no solutions. Yeah. So like from his perspective, and that's why I said, like, I'd like to go get maybe a second opinion or kind of like look into it more. Um, like he said, there's ways to try to prevent it from happening, but nothing's really guaranteed. Um, so yeah, like the, the daily contacts, flushing your eyes out, wearing clear goggles, if it's like night out or anything, just to stop anything from getting in your eye. Um, yeah. And that's tough, but I mean, that advice to just stay patient and stay calm, especially in a hundred miler, because there's so much time for things to go wrong is so great. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think I would have panicked and been like, I'm out. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm impressed. Um, How did the end of the race go? So when I came down Whistler, I was like, I, I had eaten food when I was sitting with Hillary, but I had not eaten anything climbing up Whistler. Like I, I think it's because I was so focused on like my task at hand was just getting up the mountain safely and don't get lost. So I wasn't really focused on like what I was eating. So I knew coming into that aid station that I was like, you need to eat like food and you need to eat a lot of food. So I came into that aid station. I like chow down a bunch of like pasta and yeah, I, I, it was a pretty quick transition. Putting my sunglasses and hat on really helped um, with the light. And then I started the vertical climb. The vision like started to slowly come back. Um, I don't know, maybe 10 kilometers, like when you were at the top coming down that section, um, like the last section, I can't remember what that, what that trail was called, but, um, it started to come back more where I was able to like see faces. So it was at that point coming into that aid station, eating food, I think with 
how long I rested on top of Whistler, like that must have all started to help because it was coming back to me slowly. Um, and by the time I finished the race, Hillary was actually at the finish line and Ellie was like, oh, this is the girl that helped you. And I was like, oh, okay, like I can see who you are now because before I wouldn't have even recognized her. Um, it was definitely slow moving, like that vertical climb after c- coming down Whistler because I was cooking coming down Whistler. Like I was giving her because I was like, I've, I've wasted so much time. Um, so going up that vertical climb, I was struggling. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of it, I pretty much walked. I think (laughs) I tried to run, but my feet were pretty messed up from kicking and falling so much. So I was pretty content with just to walk the rest and then run the last little 500 meters through the finish line. And then, yeah, I finished, I could see most things and within like an hour or two, my full vision came back. That's so awesome. Um, and so cool that everybody got to be at the finish line for you. Was it daylight? Yes. I think I finished, I don't even know, four, three, five o'clock. I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny how it all just like meshes together. Yeah. It was definitely daylight. It was definitely hot. <laughs> yeah. That day was definitely hot. Yeah. Um, so how about your friends and family? How do they, especially your mom, if she's a nurse, I mean, is there any type of, um, like my parents worry and I haven't even had any big issues, knock on wood in these races. So what is their response? Um, I think, I think my, both my parents were pretty worried. I think my dad was especially worried or so my friend told me because yeah, when I came into the aid station and like they, uh, they had never crewed me before. So they had never come to any races before. So they live in BC. So I wanted them there and I thought it would be really fun for them to like watch everything unfold. Um, so I think my dad was especially worried because I came into this aid station and I was like, I didn't know who he, like, I couldn't see who he was. And so my friend had told me after he was just worried because he's like, how is she going to go up this mountain when she can't see? And like, fair enough. How, like, how do you do that? Um, But they, everyone was super calm. Like everyone was so helpful and very calm. Like even when I, it's nobody told me to quit. Nobody was like, oh, you have to stop. We're so worried about you. Everyone was very calm and just so helpful of trying to like, let me kind of figure it out of like what I wanted to do. And I definitely thought about quitting for sure. Like I, I just, because I didn't know if it was going to come back. And at that point, when I first saw Hillary, I was ready to throw in the towel to be like, no, there's no way that I can finish this. And then, you know, your, your mind goes to like, I'm not meant to run a hundred miles. Like, obviously this isn't meant to be, this is going to be your second DNF, your whole family's here. Like, and none of this is going to matter anymore. (laughs) And, uh, but talking to them and like talking to Hillary and just having everybody's calm energy and just reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Whatever you decide, it will be okay. Um, and even when I decided to keep going, nobody was like, no, you can't, like, we're all worried about you. It was like, okay, we'll see you when you get here. That's so awesome. Having that kind of support from everybody around you is, is so important. I find it actually trying to explain to people that everything is okay is also exhausting. Yeah. Um, So anything that other people can do to keep like your focus simple is really great. So you obviously had the right people around you and Hillary's so um, experienced that she's probably seen, look, I mean, she does 200 mile or photography and all that sort of stuff so I'm yeah. sure she's seen people in their their worst of their worst so yeah yeah like you said it it does make yeah you kind of mirror people's 
reaction to things sometimes. And I think if anyone else was panicking, I might've maybe started to panic or if it, someone had told me, yeah, if it was like, oh, you could be this, it could be that, it could be that, like throwing all this information at me. Um, none of that people were saying, oh, it could be this, but it was nothing like, I don't really know how to describe it. It was nothing like people were not panicked. Like everyone was very calm. And I definitely mirrored that a little bit after. And I was like, okay, yeah. So everything's okay. If I decide to get up and keep going, it'll be okay. This is not going to permanently damage me, whatever it is. Just make you stronger. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to see what you go on and do. And I laughed in your bio because so many people after a hundred mile like that, um, spend some time where they're like, I don't ever want to run again, but you have quite quickly decided that you are going to do another hundred miler. So what do you have that you're looking forward to? So I am doing the Quebec mega trail hundred miler, um, in June of next year. Nice. That trail is just like, I hadn't even heard of it until a couple of years ago when our friend Audrey went and did it. And I think there was only like three women when she did it. And now I know so many people that want to go do that race. So it looks absolutely epic and it's just growing like mad. Yeah. I think, cause it's a pretty new hundred miler, I think, but yeah, yeah. The trail, the course looks unreal for sure. And it's yeah, a little totally. bit different from like what I'm used to. So totally. Yeah. I'm very excited. And so what are your bucket goals long-term? What's your, what's what your dream goal race? Uh, dream goal race would be hard rock or Western States. Um, as I'm sure it is like a lot of people that would be, yeah, that would just be like, so fun to experience. Um, I'm also trying to run, uh, the comrades ultra in South Africa. No um, way. Yeah. So I, that would be maybe like a 2024, 2025 goal. I'm running, I've never run a marathon before, so I'm running the Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've run a marathon, but not like an actual marathon. (laughs) No, I get it. Yeah. That's so funny. So I'm doing to qualify for comrades, you have to run a marathon. So I'm going to run the Vancouver (laughs) marathon in May. And oh, that's a fun one. Katie and I did that last year and Ellie knows that course inside and out too. Oh, so. great. So she, yeah, that's well, cause I emailed her and I was like, Hey, like, I kind of want to run a marathon in May, but I also want to do a hundred miler in June. Like, is this possible? So what did she say? She's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, it'll just sure, be, you know, it, the marathon's not the main focus. And I was like, well, that's fair. Like the hundred mile is definitely the main focus. Cause I think you have to run a marathon in like four hours and thirty four hours and 30 minutes to qualify for comrades or something. So, Oh yeah. So it can just be a nice training run. Not yeah, all totally. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's super exciting. Comrades actually just got onto my radar too. I mean, I know Ellie's crushed it a few times, but I've just started to think that would be interesting. Just the pavement, man, that's going to hurt. Um, the pavement and just the hype of it all. Like I just, I'm reading a book about the history of it all and whatnot. And it's just so interesting how like it all came to be. Um, And yeah, the hype of it all just looks incredible. It does. It looks awesome. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm excited to follow your journey and huge congrats again. Um, You have an awesome Instagram. I mean, where you run is absolutely beautiful. So if our listeners want to find more of you, where can they do that? Uh, Yeah. On my Instagram, it's nick.abma. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and the last question I have for you is if you could describe Wham in three words, what would they be? Oh my goodness. 
you know, it's funny because I listened to your podcast a lot and I'm like, okay, I wonder what my three, (laughs) (laughs) I described three things is going to be like, um, describe wham in three words. Um, beautiful. Like that probably is one of the most beautiful courses I've ever ran. Like when you're on top of Whistler mountain, it is absolutely incredible. Stunning. Yeah. Um, difficult. (laughs) Um, and just inspiring. Like I feel, yeah, like I met some really good people on the trail and like, I had great conversations with people on the trail and I was kind of like in the, in the middle of like all these guys and we were past each other and then come and they were like hearing their stories and like why they were running and every, every person that I met and talked to, like, it's just so nice to be in an environment where, yeah, you get to be inspired by other runners and hear people's story. And yeah, that sticks with you, especially when it's your first hundred miler. Like I'm never going to forget any of the people that I met and yeah. Totally. And um, I'm so impressed that you, you finished this. Um, so again, a huge congratulations and I can't wait to see how you do the comp ads. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast.